Hello, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us today. A Reason for Hope, in case this is your first time with us, is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided along, for the most part, by your questions on the Bible. Uh, if you have any questions on the Bible and Scripture, what does the Word say about certain things? Maybe there's a specific verse you've come across that is confusing to you, you'd like it explained a little bit more in context, maybe something you're going through in your life, um, you'd like a biblical perspective, maybe things you see out in the world, different lifestyles and decisions, what does God say about all those things, maybe even other religions and world views as they relate to Christianity and the Word, anything along those lines, um, we appreciate it if it's an honest question and one that you're looking for an answer from Scripture, that's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope, plus some prophecy updates and updates on things going on in the world as they relate to uh, end times and biblical prophecy and those kind of things too. So that's what we're all about. You can interact with us through multiple online platforms. I'll be going over those in just a moment just to make sure you know the different ways to get hold of us should you want to send one of your questions in. My name's Dave Robson. I'm your host. I'll be right there with you in all those platforms. Check in on that as we go along in our show with us. Today we have Pastor Scott Richards and Pastor Sean Richards, father-son team. Look alike, sound alike. Sometimes it's hard to tell them apart. <laughs> Sounds like the start of the old Patty Duke show. <laughs> I'm maybe really I, dating myself now. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, we're doing great. Yeah, good to see you. Thank yeah. you for being here. Lots of exciting stuff to talk about. That's great. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll throw to you for a bit of an update here. Obviously, very, very interesting times in the world, to say the least. Uh, well, before we go any further, like I as promised, let me uh, just go over some of the platforms that we're streaming live on to make sure you have multiple ways to join us. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. It's a live broadcast, as I mentioned, here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard uh, Time. It's a ministry and outreach of calvarychristianfellowship.com. Uh, uh, yeah, calvarychristianfellowship.com is our website. Pastor Scott here is the senior pastor here and the founder of this ministry. Been going for over 20 years now. We've kind of developed and gone from a radio show to a live um, video, you know, vlog, podcast, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, but it's all based out of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So if you're in the Tucson area and you would like to come and check us out, if you're looking for somewhere to worship and get in the Word, you're more than welcome, of course, to come and do that. We have Sunday services and a Wednesday evening service. You can, again, check all that out at calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you go to that live tab, anytime we're live, we stream to that page. If you type in ccftucson.online.church, it will take you straight to that same page or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com, but we are live there. You can sign in with the username of your choice and then interact with us uh, through the chat function that appears there. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event and a schedule of upcoming events as well. So we encourage you to use that as a kind of a home base, especially if you're you know, not on social media or boycotting that. There's a lot of people I know that aren't really on social media sites, but ccftucson.online.church will take you straight to that live page. And once again, calvarychristianfellowship.com will link you to the same place as well. But we are on Facebook. We're live on there. Lord willing, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're live there. You can send in your question through the chat function. Don't forget to like and share and all that good stuff. We'd appreciate that as we continue to grow this ministry and reach out to as many as would here. Uh, we have an app for your mobile device as well. You've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo, that's our app. You can watch us on your mobile device. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you have that, uh, a TV with a you know, smart function 
or a Roku stick or um, Apple uh, TV box or one of those things, you can add us as a channel in your channel store, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're live on YouTube as well. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. Uh, you can watch us live there and send your question in again through the chat function. We'd love it if you would uh, like and subscribe and uh, that notification bell, if you click on it, you will be notified when we are live so you won't have to miss anything if you're forgetful like me. Uh, if you go to that live tab on YouTube, anytime we've been live, it will archive there for you so you can catch up on things that you missed. Uh, we've been doing a lot of updates on the goings on in Israel and surrounding countries uh, really over the last couple of weeks. and so. Um, the first part of the show has been dedicated to that. So if you're interested in those kind of things, you can uh, catch up on some of those shows that you may have missed. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter as well, tweeting away all kinds of updates, things going on as they come on in. Wild day on Twitter, by oh, the way. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet it's just yeah. absolutely going cray-cray, as yeah. they say. Uh, Scott Arthur H is his handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. You can follow along with him for uh, comments from a sort of biblical perspective. And um, again, commentary on as things unfold. We're on Rumble as well, not live on Rumble, but we post video content if you happen to be using that um, uh, that platform. A Reason for Hope, Bible Q&A on the Rumble platform. And then questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questions for Hope spelled out with letters at gmail.com. You can email us your question there as well. If you're joining us on the radio, we're glad that you are. Keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded so we're not live with you per se but all those other platforms we are live as can be but questionsforhope at gmail.com is a way you can get in touch with us send your question in i'll be checking that as well and uh, if you are a day behind on the radio we'll get to that question on our next show and then i guess you could listen to it on the next day after that it's a whole scientific process but i'm sure you get it uh but there we are <laughs> on all those. we're on all those platforms and again send your questions in there is there's no dumb question as long as it's sincere um, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord or just curious about those things, as long as it's a sincere question, we are, um, you're more than welcome to send those in. Um, we have wonderful guests here who love the Lord, love the Word, and would love to navigate those questions with you. Uh, well, we love to pr pause and pray because we want the Lord to speak more than we do, as Sean says, and I've stole that from him and we'll quote it now Yes. until my last day. But Sean, would you like to pray for us today? All right. All right. <laughs> you can think about it. Pray about it. Yeah, yeah, thank you that we have the chance to be here. We're grateful that you've called us to share your word in this capacity, but we don't have anything to share if it's not from your spirit. So give him to us now and allow us to share with your voice and your heart as well as with your words. Protect us from error. Enable us to receive truth and to have joy in the things not only that you've called us to do, but the things that you continue to equip us for every single day, whether it's in just meditating on your word, seeking clarification in it, or even giving opportunities to reflect on where we are in the world, that we can look up and know that our salvation draws near. Let it all be from the kind of heart you demonstrated firsthand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 Well, Scott, I appreciate the updates you've been giving us. Um, what would you like to share with us well, today? Well, lots going on. You yeah. know, again, Jesus told us in Matthew 24 that uh, one of the signs of uh, his appearing would be wars and rumors of wars, and, and not just in general. Um, you know, I think there was a, uh, a survey uh, that was done by the Canadian Army Journal that estimated in the last uh, 2,500 years, there have been uh, 216 years of peace in the world, they right. estimated. Right. So one thing we do really well as human beings is 
fight with one Got another. Wall, yes, and, and I'm not even sure where those 216 years of peace came from. Yeah. But uh, that was the, nighttime. Just the yeah. count on the nighttime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, peace has been described as the time that it takes the nations to reload. But right. but the 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 interesting thing going on is uh, you know people say well there've been wars and there've been these conflicts and so on you know why should we uh, ascribe some kind of prophetic significance to them. Well, first of all, because Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24, there would be wars and rumors of wars in a category with other global phenomena that he described as being the beginning of sorrows. Now, what that literally means is the beginning of birth pains. Anybody who's gone through that process knows that birth pains increase in frequency and intensity as the big day draws near. They will become more and more dramatic, more and more cataclysmic, more and more catastrophic. Mm. But also we need to understand that when Jesus was speaking these things, he was speaking, sitting smack dab in the area that we would know as the Temple Mount. He was there taking a tour of the place, in a sense, with his disciples. And, and so when we speak of wars and rumors of wars, they are wars and rumors of wars that inevitably revolve around Israel. Well, prior to 1948, Israel had been dispersed from the land. They were not back in the land physically. They had no governmental presence uh, as far as being able to determine their own destiny. But uh, from that time onward, uh, we've seen Israel back in the land. If you've been with us on our Wednesday night study in the book of Ezekiel, we are knee deep in some really remarkable prophecies that describe what God's plans are uh, for Israel, not just for their physical restoration to the land, but also their spiritual restoration to a right relationship with him. We're beginning to see the signs of this. If you'd like to explore that more in depth, uh, go to calvarychristianfellowship.com and uh, you can look in our archives. You can also go to YouTube. That, that might be the simplest way to do it. And uh, just click on uh, our Ezekiel study. I think you're going to find uh, that the prophecies of Ezekiel sound uh, more on target than the, the best analysis we're getting in the here and now today. It's mm -hmm. really a remarkable book of the, the Bible to be in at a time like this. But uh, having said that, uh, we do want to keep track of wars and rumors of wars, particularly as they pertain to the nation of Israel. These are incredibly significant prophetic events. Hence, we've been devoting quite a bit of time on this program to keep you up to date uh, about this uh, latest birth pain uh, that uh, some have identified as more than, say, a 9-11 uh, situation for Israel, more like a, a holocaust for Israel, because proportionately the amount of people who have died as a result of all of this uh, is uh, far greater than anything that uh, happened, uh, say, to us on 9-11. Uh, you know, again, we are talking about 1,300, now almost 1,400 Israeli casualties, uh, many more wounded beyond all of that. We are talking about uh, the amount of American citizens uh, died now in the 30s as far as the death toll goes. And so uh, when we think about 9-11, well, just under 3,000 people died on 9-11 mm -hmm. in a country the size of the United States around 300 million people, uh, that's a pretty small percentage. But for Israel to lose that many of their, their citizens based upon their population, this would be the rough equivalent of Israel going through 45 9-11 terrorist attacks wow. on the same day. And so you have to understand just what a significant thing this is, especially to the people of Israel. So what's going on over there right now? Well, a number of things we wanted to make you aware of uh, because the United States 
uh, is getting pulled into the conflict more and more and less and less subtly as time goes on. This shouldn't surprise any of us because the Ayatollah Khomeini, the head honcho of the Mad Mullahs in Tehran, made a statement over the weekend uh, that uh, the United States and Israel are inseparably linked in this conflict. In other words, uh, it is the duty of Muslims not only to attack the little Satan, Israel, but also the great Satan, which they refer to as the United States. So we're starting to see quite a bit of that uh, going on. Just before airtime, there have been a number of uh, missile strikes around U.S. Uh, positions in northern Syria, some of these coming out of uh, the territory of Iraq. But the big one today was a major missile launch that took place from the country of Yemen. Yemen is located, you know, if you're familiar at all with the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, it's at the far, far south of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, pretty much on the edge of where the Red Sea goes into the Indian Ocean, if that helps you all uh, ge geographically. Um, you know, you, you get an idea of what's going on. Uh, a significant distance from Israel, but not so significant that it isn't a threat. Well, from Yemen today, Yemen is the home of a group called the Houthi rebels. Uh, there is a country in Sana, they had uh, the capital city of, uh, of Yemen, uh, but there are also a very strong Iranian-backed group of Houthi rebels that, generally speaking, like to make life miserable for the Saudis. One thing that Sean has uh, informed us on is uh, the only thing that, uh, say, Sunni and Shiite Muslims hate more than Israel is each other, uh, these two major sects of Islam. Again, Iran is the head honcho over the Shiite faction, uh, the, the uh, Saudi Arabians, again, the Sunni faction going on there. So uh, Yemen has been sort of a minor player. They've blown up some Saudi Arabian oil installations and their track record, uh, more of a minor irritant, but they are extremely well-equipped by their Iranian uh, uh, clients, if you will. They're a client state of Iran. And these Houthi rebels decided today to uh, do two things. First of all, they uh, launched an anti-ship uh, missile at a U.S. cruiser that was intercepted earlier on, and then they followed it up by a launch of five uh, pretty significantly large and uh, well-equipped and very dangerous uh, rockets from their territory in Yemen. Now, those five missiles that were launched were taken out by a U.S. destroyer, the USS Kearney, uh, that specializes in that sort of thing. Uh, another launch from another position in Yemen was taken out apparently by the Saudis. But to add to that, uh, the Houthi rebels in Yemen launched 15 drones that were taken out uh, vaguely speaking by electronic warfare. They're not telling us exactly how they did it, but they were able to neutralize these drones. All of these missiles and drones were set to attack Israel. They were on their way to strike targets in Israel. So uh, we not only see the United States getting involved in that respect, but we also see, you know, this, this, this happens. Some people say, well, why, why would they launch just five missiles at Israel? Is it just a little thing of saying, hey, we're, we're down here? I think it goes deeper than that. Remember, we have one USS carrier group that is already located in the eastern Mediterranean, uh, led by the USS Gerald R. Ford, a uh, incredible piece of machinery, the aircraft carrier and uh, destroyer escorts and so on. 
It is already parked in the eastern Mediterranean where it can keep a watchful eye on all things going on in, say, Lebanon, in Iraq, in Turkey, and in especially Iran. So another carrier group, uh, led by the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, is now steaming in that direction, probably will be there within about another week. So you have some serious U.S. infrastructure there in that area. Well, the Iranians, who are the head of the snake in all of this, well, let, let's just be very blunt about that. They're the ones that give the orders. They're the ones that tell Hamas what to do. Uh, they're the ones that tell Hezbollah and Lebanon what to do. They're really the ones that tell even uh, the governor, government of uh, Syria uh, what to do uh, under Assad up there. So they're the ones who are pushing the buttons. Well, why launch uh, this kind of feeble-sounding attack, just five rockets and 15 drones? Well, uh, the, the best analysis I've been able to read on this is this is what's called a probing mission. In other words, they wanted to find out if the United States, although we have resources there, has the resolve to be able to actually get involved in, say, interdicting missiles and drones coming in. Now, that's huge because Hezbollah in Lebanon to the north of Israel is just loaded with missiles and drones mm -hmm. that uh, they would give anything to be able to launch in Israel. You might recall last week there was a false alarm. Our friend Amir Sarfati uh, put out a post saying that they had been uh, called in Galilee to go to the air raid shelters because a massive attack of, uh, of drones from Hezbollah was uh, crossing in Israeli airspace. Well, it turns out that was uh, a, a spoof, if you will, and want to use that, that term. It was a mm -hmm. hack into uh, the Israeli defense system. I, and I think it was one of those probing kind of things to see what Israel would do if something like that took place. Well, I think this attack of, uh, from the Houthi rebels is also a probing uh, mission because what Iran wants to find out is, first of all, is the United States going to have the nerve, the guts, to get involved and intercept missiles and technology heading into Israel before mm -hmm. they attempt to launch them. Sure, we got a carrier group there, but the question is, is the United States just going to be a paper tiger? Uh, right. Are we going to actually follow through and use that resource, pull the trigger, if you will, if yep. something like this happens? Mm -hmm. Taking out those uh, five rockets and 15 drones was our way of saying, uh, we're serious. You attack Israel, we're going to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So very interesting development there, and I think a positive one for Israel, because this is definitely going to give the mad mullahs in Tehran uh, something to really think about before they act. This could keep the lid on this crisis getting much, much worse, and it would get much, much worse if the real terrorist threat in that region, Hezbollah in Lebanon, decided to attack Israel. Uh, they may end up deciding, well, let's just keep our powder dry and, uh, you know, he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. Yeah. So we've seen that happen today. Uh, tonight, uh, President Joe Biden is going to address the nation uh, about the situation going on here. Mm -hmm. Whether that's a positive or not, we really don't know. Uh, President Biden's uh, trip to Israel was definitely something that got a lot of mixed reviews. He announced while he was there that they were going to provide $80 million worth of humanitarian aid to the people of Gaza. Well, that raised a question in some quarters. Who is it that runs the government of Gaza and would distribute this humanitarian aid? Well, it's Hamas. Hamas is the duly elected government 
over the Gaza Strip. Mm. So in essence, what you're doing is you're giving $80 million to Hamas, and they say, oh, well, we have guarantees that it's going to go to the people. Well, what possible guarantees could you have once they receive those funds yeah. uh, that uh, it's going to do uh, anything else aside from restock their weapons? And right. they do seem to have quite a few weapons. They are launching missiles right before airtime, uh, targeting the area around Tel Aviv right now. Mm. So they don't seem to be running out of uh, resources there. So, you know, on the one side of the coin, good on us. Uh, we've sent this carrier group. Another carrier group is going on. The USS Kearney took out this invasion very, very good, but uh, there's definitely mixed signals mm -hmm. being sent in in this direction. And you know, when I said uh, that uh, the president being there uh, was sort of a mixed blessing, that on the one side of the coin, great, the United States president actually there in Israel during an attack along this line, I think that's to be commended. But on the other side of the coin, when he was there, he would make statements that were real head scratchers. I mean, maybe the head scratcher of all head scratchers was when he asked about the, uh, the incident uh, that allegedly took out the uh, Baptist hospital mm. in Gaza. His comment was, and I quote, Hamas needs to learn how to shoot straight. Now, I'm not really sure how you take that. Yeah. What in the world does that mean? I think of two ways. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Um, does that mean that he's criticizing their aim? Right. That they need to aim better next time? They should become more effective in the dispatching of civilians. Uh, I, I really don't. I don't know why you would say something like that. No. And uh, you know, once again, uh, clarity rather than confusion really needs to be the watchword yes. in a set of circumstances like this. So we'll see what the president has to say uh, in his address tonight. We'll mm. uh, probably offer some comment and uh, some uh, some prophetic analysis of uh, what he has to say on tomorrow's program. Uh, speaking of Hamas not being able to shoot straight, uh, the hospital uh, that was supposedly bombed, it has now been confirmed, uh, the hospital was not hit. The parking lot next to the hospital was hit. Mm. The amount of casualties initially uh, said in the hundreds is probably in the tens, if that. Mm. Because the uh, hospital's bed capacity was 80. So, once again, uh, that didn't slow down uh, politicians in the United States like Rashida Tlaib, who is a proud uh, Palestinian uh, American uh, representative from Michigan, uh, to announce even today the, the same propaganda that uh, Israel had bombed a hospital, killed hundreds of innocents, and so on. No backtracking. What? And even led a violent riot. Yeah, no, no backtracking going on there. And as, as you saw, uh, the uh, protesters against uh, Israel defending itself occupied the Capitol building. This was not called an insurrection. In fact, Representative Cori Bush said this is good trouble. So that, that's her quote. Yeah. So apparently uh, people going to the Capitol uh, on January 6th, that was bad trouble that gets you in jail for 25 years. This almost identical in its inception and execution, but for a different cause, is, is good trouble. We, we don't really need to do anything about that. And uh, boy, if you want uh, to eliminate the United States as a, um, say, a, a, a stumbling block in the goal of having a one world government, which the Bible says is going to come to pass uh, sooner or later when the Antichrist comes to power, one way you can do that is to continually uh, tell its citizens we can have no confidence in the main pillars of government. 
And if uh, our judicial system and the way things are prosecuted has one set of rules for one political persuasion, another set of rules for another political persuasion, boy, our confidence in our judiciary, as well as in the media, uh, you know, as well as uh, in the institution of the church, as well as, uh, you know, the, the fundamental confidence that we have in our election system, uh, you want to bring down a government, erode people's confidence in those things. And you can take one side or the other on all those issues, whether it's valid or not. But suffice it to say, even our media, the latest uh, polling on media shows that the uh, confidence that Americans have, that our mainstream media is telling us the truth about what's happening in the world today, is at record lows. There is no confidence in these things. Yeah. So if you really want to erode a nation, it's a great, great way to do it. Uh, speaking of uh, bad reporting, there were reports earlier that uh, Israel had bombed a Roman Orthodox church. Uh, the initial claim by Hamas was that the uh, amount of casualties was in the hundreds. Well, now we discover that there really weren't any casualties. Uh, the church suffered minor damage, and uh, there weren't 200 people, Christians, hiding in it. But you mm -hmm. can see the propaganda angle on it in that Hamas desperately wants to pry Christian support away from Israel right. in any way they can. So that story broke today, and it was pretty much immediately dismissed as uh, overstated and propagandistic. But uh, another very interesting story uh, that broke, and we, we gave this kind of our teaser on our Twitter site, about chemical warfare coming to this particular conflict, mm -hmm. but not in the way uh, that you would think. Uh, there's a fascinating article in the Jerusalem Post uh, about uh, a very interesting discovery that Israel has made when examining the bodies of Hamas terrorists. All of them have in their pockets a uh, narcotic called Captagon. Captagon has been called a poor man's cocaine hmm. and has uh, been flooding into uh, the Middle East. The Jerusalem Post article says Hamas terrorists who carried out a surprise attack on October 7th were found to be under the influence of Captagon, a synthetic amphetamine type stimulant that has been clandestinely produced in southern Europe and trafficked through Turkey to consumer markets in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, this is according to Israel's Channel 12. The pills were recovered from the pockets of many terrorists who lost their lives on Israeli soil. The stimulant drug, also known as cocaine for the poor, allowed terrorists to commit heinous acts with a sense of calmness and indifference. Simultaneously, it kept them highly alert for extended periods and suppressed their appetite. Captagon gained notoriety in 2015 when it was discovered as a drug of choice used by ISIS fighters to suppress their fear prior to carrying out terrorist operations. And not the first time the Nazis during their blitzkrieg were doped on methamphetamines in order to stay awake and active for longer periods of time. Exactly. Uh, you know, when uh, we talk about uh, the, the early success of Nazi Germany, particularly against the French, one of the things that we discovered is that the French were absolutely mind-boggled by the fact that the Nazis not only were moving into their territory, but seemingly we're moving in their territory without the need to sleep for days. Well, that was because a uh, particular uh, German company uh, called Temelin produced a drug called Pervitin, believe it or not. And Pervitin was not only given 
to Nazi soldiers as a way of keeping them alert and active and not in need of sleep and not needing to stop to eat or anything else like that. But Pervitin worked so well on the Blitzkrieg that uh, the, uh, the Nazis decided that uh, since they needed to up industrial production in their country and needed uh, people to be working double and triple shifts, well, Pervitin was becoming the, became the drug of choice for uh, virtually uh, the entire population of Germany during World War II. Mm -hmm. The problem, though, is Pervitin is essentially what we would call crystal meth. And if you know people on crystal meth, you know that initially it creates this great high and this great uh, sense of, of invincibility and, uh, boy, you don't have to sleep for days and all of this. But after a few months taking meth every day, what happens? Sooner or later, the bills come due. And that's one of the reasons that the tide of the war changed. You had these doped out uh, individuals who couldn't think straight in significant positions of authority. Well, if your goal is to uh, simply uh, try to do as much damage as possible and you have no regard whatsoever for your soldiers, why not hop them up on something like Captagon? Yeah. Well, that's what we're seeing going on wow. right there. And that would explain uh, the, even by Muslim standards, the brutality of, say, beheading, you know, children, right. infants, babies, you know, under a circumstance like that. Yeah. If you're geeked out uh, of your mind on poor man's cocaine on large levels, remember, it wasn't just one little pill they were given. There were little pockets full of these things that they were carrying. Uh, this is just, uh, you know, a, another picture of the depravity and evil uh, that's involved with this. And I yeah. think it's really fascinating uh, that in Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about uh, the deeds of the flesh being evident, one of them is sorcery. The Greek word there is pharmakia. Mm. We get our term pharmacy from that because quite often when you would be dealing with sorcery and things along that line, one of the ways they would get their visions would be to get hopped up on drugs mm. or huffing uh, uh, chemicals coming out of volcanic vents in the case of uh, the Oracle of Delphi. Or so, tar hats in the case of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Yeah, so the, the, the bottom line is uh, we're seeing all of these things happen in a, in a really radical way. Now, having given all of this sobering news that is going on here, uh, there is some good news to report. Uh, for instance, the U.S. Senate today uh, voted un a unanimous uh, support of Israel, 97 to nothing, as far as uh, their uh, need to be able to deal uh, with Hamas and this attack, attack against them. Uh, the House, well, we know that the House is uh, sort of uh, a three-ring circus right now as far as not having a speaker and all the things going on. And who knows uh, how those in the House would vote, uh, especially individuals like Rashida Tlaib and her fellow squad members like Cori Bush and others, they would probably take a stand against Israel at this particular time. But we'll take our victories where we can get them. And speaking of uh, victories, really fascinating personal note sent along to us uh, from uh, Matt, who goes to our church. Uh, he said this, hey, Scott, didn't get a chance to tell you last night, but I got a cool call from Dan M., who used to attend our church. He's been visiting Croatia and Portugal on his latest journey and is finishing his trip in the Azores Islands. He and his wife were having dinner one evening and chanced to have a table next to a young man named Raphael. 
they started a conversation and Raphael had been at the concert in Israel that was attacked by Hamas. He narrowly escaped by crouching down in his vehicle, which was shot over 200 times. When the attackers began to approach to finish them off, the IDF intervened and one IDF soldier was badly wounded and ended up losing a leg. The young man was a secular Jew that had little to no knowledge of scripture, and Dan and his wife shared about Bible prophecy and Israel's history. They asked for prayer that the Lord would nurture the seed they planted in Raphael. Amazing, both Dan and Raphael traveled about 4,000 miles for this meeting to take place. Another amazing example of the work of the Lord. Mm. So uh, please be praying for Raphael that he would come to know the Lord. Please be praying that many in Israel would come to know the Lord, as mm-hmm. we've mentioned before, this amazing precursor of God's uh, causing uh, Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, the, uh, the skeletons assembling, then having uh, blood and, and tissue and sinew and skin put on them, but then finally the breath of God being breathed into them, this beautiful picture of how Israel is going to know the true and living God in the last days. We're starting to see the uh, foreshadowing of this, I believe, prophetically, but be praying for Israel and be praying for the poor Muslim people in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Uh, They need to know the truth about who the one true and living God is. Uh, They need to know the truth about uh, the lies they've been fed regarding their false prophet that they follow, feel is the perfect man, even though in the uh, history of Al-Tabri, volume six, uh, Muhammad on one day beheaded how many? 600 to 800 Jews? It varies, but uh, I th- I'd say that's uh, about 801 too many. Yeah. So the, the, the bottom line is the Muslims in Gaza, the Muslims in Lebanon, the, the Muslims in Jordan, the Muslims across the Muslim world need to know the love of Jesus Christ, and we yeah. need to be praying for them as well. Yeah, amen. And he's referring to the Battle of the Trench. And just one more note, um, when people say, well, these weren't Muslims, these were just junkies that were acting out a high. Well, first off, no, this was an organized assault. And secondly, also know the reason they were attacking innocents, particularly babies and civilians and women, is because Surah 860 and Surah 95 are the same in which Muhammad first gave it to them. They can read, they can obey, they just needed the energy to act upon it, which is why we want to attack the ideology and see the individuals redeemed, because it leads them into things like this, not places we want to see anyone brought to. Hmm. Yep, that's right. Um, while we're on the, the subject, got an email from Adrian, not our Adrian, another Adrian, but another um, the question is, can you share um, some scriptures that would be a comfort to the Israeli people during this time? What a great question. <laughs> and probably watches over com- Israel, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Yeah, yeah let, <laughs> me, uh, let me uh, read you that one. As well. Psalm 121, I think, is a great place. You know, and it was very interesting in my, my personal time in the Word uh, this morning how there are just a number of psalms that really are very, very relevant uh, to Israel in, in these days. And I'm hoping and praying that the people of Israel will take these to heart. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. Mm. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who f- keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Mm. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth 
and even forevermore. Mm, uh, so good. Some some other beautiful psalms in in uh, Psalm 79, uh, that uh, that area around there, great place uh, to uh, be able uh, to to uh, park yourself. Uh, boy, uh, just Psalm 79 itself is so powerful. It says, "O God, the nations have come." into your inheritance, your holy temple they've defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps, the dead bodies of your servants. They have given us food for the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your saints, to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors and scorn and distress to those around us. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy be like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, do not remember our former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let that there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. And it goes on from there. But boy, there's a whole slew of psalms right there in the Psalm 70s region that I think would be very, very comforting to right. people in Israel right now. Yeah, wonderful. Agent, uh, thank you for that. Two others, Psalm 2 and Psalm 62, believe it or not. Psalm 2 in particular, and noting Messianic Jews or otherwise, know that your Messiah your God looks from heaven on all these things. He sees the nations rage and laughs. This isn't something that he's thwarted or overcome by, but another really important one, Psalm 62 in particular, one that I'm taking the time to commit to memory, is when processing through trauma, which everyone in the nation is experiencing to some degree, either by proxy or from personal experience, in that psalm, there's essentially two cycles that David goes through in writing it, where he is just venting about his situation. He's expressing, literally, as the psalm states, pouring out his heart before God, verse 8 tells his listeners to do. And as a result, you see a growing confidence and realization in God's ability to be his salvation, right. to be his refuge. And in knowing just how far our ability to protect ourselves can go, even with the most state-of-the-art technology like your nation has to offer, there are still evil people who will find ways around it. So knowing that not only those psalms, but this psalm as well, will help process the internal struggles and in all of these things. Recognize that God is there, that Hashem is hearing you, that Hashem is with you, and that he will be the one to ultimately vindicate you. He can do a much better job than even the Iron Dome can, even than the IDF can, but if that's then the case, allow those emotions to run their proper course and bring them to the one who actually cares enough to hear them. You can pay counselors to offer their opinions, but he's the one who knows your heart as your prophet Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah observed in chapter 17 of his prophecy that's in your Tanakh. So whether you recognize the God of Israel as your own, or just by family association with your messianic, and we call you a brother or sister, or that we are grateful to be grafted into your olive tree, understand that these are your promises too. We're just benefiting from them. Your God is watching after you. Your God will cause these monsters to answer for what they've done. But even more importantly, he cares about where you're at too. That's not a Christian invention. We are living off of your witness and revelation of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the way, um, President Biden has requested $14 billion in military assistance to be 
given to Israel. Uh, there is uh, a uh, concern that uh, the speech is uh, sort of split up or even more concerned with what's going on in the Ukraine than Israel right now. I'm not saying that we, we can't walk and chew gum at the same time, but it does seem like uh, the, the real issue on the table is what's going on with Israel. Uh, Biden said American leadership is what holds the world together. Our alliances are what keep us safe and our values are what make us a partner that other nations want to work with. We put all that at risk if we walk away from Ukraine or turn our back on Israel. I could not agree with that statement uh, more. Uh, we cannot allow dictators like Putin and terrorists like Hamas to win. Well, once again, we have to understand that Vladimir Putin is no friend of Israel at this point mm -hmm. either. Uh, in fact, there are a number of very well-entrenched Russian assets that are in Lebanon that work hand-in-glove with the Iranians and with Hezbollah. So uh, no fa fans of uh, Vladimir Putin uh, around here. Mm -hmm. But uh, under the circumstances uh, that is going on here, I definitely think our focus needs to be on what's happening in Israel. Yeah, right. Well, uh, Adrian, thank you for that question. It's a great question. That's That was great to go over those Psalms and scriptures. Um, question from George. Why didn't God strike down Samuel's corrupt sons like he did Eli's sons and just appoint new judges like he did before? Surprised the people of Israel didn't ask for a king during the wickedness of Eli. Sometimes well, he, with, with several accounts of people when they get struck down by God, I read it like, man, why... Why didn't why don't God just strike me down, make me a pillar of salt? <laughs> well, there's yeah. there's a couple of things there. Uh, you know, as far as uh, the the wicked sons of Eli, yeah, they lived up to the billing. You suggest, George. Uh, we're told in First Samuel chapter two and verse twelve. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt; they did not know the Lord. And the, as of the priest's custom with the people was that any man who offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. Sort of a, I'm gonna leave this in God's hands sort of thing. I'm not gonna be picky, and whatever cut of meat I get is the cut of meat that I get. So they, so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came to them. Also, before they burned the fat, uh, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. In other words, no, nothing's going in the pot now. Uh, just give us those uh, fillets and uh, the ribeyes and all that other stuff, and whatever's left over, you can do your sacrificial thing. Which was the opposite of how it was supposed to go. When you offered a sacrifice to God, the meat just didn't get burned to a crisp. It would be enjoyed as a barbecue and a Thanksgiving offering to God. It says, and if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. <laughs> and that's not all. Yes. Therefore, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord for men aboard the offering of the Lord. And uh, again, uh, we are told uh, in verse 22, now Eli who was the high priest, was very old, and he heard everything his sons had did to Israel and how uh, they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of Ugh. meeting. In other words, they were like, uh, I guess, ancient uh, TV evangelists, for lack of a better term, uh, in the way they conducted themselves. So the question, George, comes up, why didn't God deal with them the way that he dealt with, say, Nadab and Abihu right. uh, at the inception 
of the sacrificial system. Two things. Number one, whenever we see God initiating a movement of his, whenever we see the Lord bringing a new facet of his revelation into place, inevitably there is a move of God that says, don't mess with this. (laughs) Don't monkey around with this. The sacrifice of Nadab and Abihu was immediately after uh, the altar of offering was dedicated to the Lord, and fire from heaven came and consumed the first sacrifice. And that wasn't the only miracle they had seen. Yeah, and so Nadab and Abihu, uh, apparently, in the following passages, uh, it indicates they had a little bit too much to drink, and, and, the, and they wanted to see God do it again. So they yeah. offered a sacrifice God didn't require. Fire did come, but it consumed Nadab and Abihu. Moses said to Aaron, don't mourn for them. You're not allowed to mourn for them after what they've done, you know. And so, yikes, Uh, when Moses received his commission to go to Pharaoh, what happens? Well, God had to deal with him regarding his uncircumcised son. And uh, Moses almost lost his life as a result of that. When the people of Israel entered the land, you might recall uh, after uh, the Battle of Jericho, how a guy named Achan took uh, some Babylonian garments and some wedges of gold and said, nobody's going to miss it, although the entire uh, spoils were to be dedicated to God as the first city that they conquered when going into the land. Well, you remember uh, what happened to Achan as a result of that, and Israel, because they were defeated by a little piddly podunk, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, traffic stop uh, city. Uh, AI, AI, uh, and uh, and they were utterly routed. Well, God showed him that He meant business. New Testament, uh, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Right. Uh, they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit about the sacrifice uh, that they had offered to God. Boy, if God was still in the business of doing that today, could you imagine how many people lie about their relationship with God, yeah. or about how much they give to a godly cause? People dropping <laughs> left and right. Yeah. But it was God's way of saying. This is a new movement of mine, Mm. and this is to be taken absolutely seriously. Did the sons of Eli get away with anything? No. No. What happened to them? Well, they did something stupid, and they got killed. They tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle against the Philistines and think that, well, now God's forced to bless us because he's not going to let this little golden box that for some reason we think he's greatly invested in. No, it was where he met with his people, but it's just a box of acacia at the end of the day. What it represented was what was important, and the Philistines ultimately took it with them as a trophy in their temples. Now, God had a little fun with them. You can read in 1 Samuel uh, the incident that followed. But the point being made is just this. Every single time direct judgment fell, it was only on people who knew better and were being held accountable for the miracles they had seen. If you've seen a miracle, you're also going to see more miracles if you violate that standard, not in your favor. Why was Achan judged the way he was? Not just because he was given seven, essentially, rounds of guess who, where he was given a chance to come forward and receive redemption, but he had seen the miracles in the wilderness, and he had seen the crossness 
of the Jordan River and the fall of Jericho. Why were Ananias and Sapphira judged so harshly? Because they had seen the miracles performed by the apostles and potentially Jesus himself. I, we aren't told in the text, so I'll only presume the first. Why was Nadab and Abihu, why were Nadab and Abihu judged so harshly? They had seen the miracles at Mount Sinai, the cross of the Red Sea, the plagues of Egypt. They were a part of all that. Why wasn't uh, Hophni and Phineas judged so directly the lightning treatment? Why weren't Samuel's sons given the lightning treatment? Because they were just bad people. They hadn't seen the miracles, so they would be accountable to God in a moral sense. And with bad decisions come bad consequences. If you, not to use the original term, but if you mess around and you find out chart, they messed around and the rate in which they found out exponentially rose. That's the point. Right. So they were held accountable to what they knew. And noting the point, George, when we're talking about those men, what had they seen? Well, they were just coming off the time of the judges. Samuel wasn't performing any miracles apart from, you know, uh, personal revelations from God, but he was verifying God's word. Was Eli exposed to any miracles? Not that we know of. Was the time of Samson? His parents, definitely. They had seen the angel of the Lord. Samson himself, he was a living miracle. That's right. why he was held accountable when he violated the terms and conditions of that. But the point being made is this. God holds you accountable for what you do know, not what you didn't know. That's why in James it says, let not many of you become teachers because you incur a stricter judgment. Well, also, have a little hesitation when you say, God, I want to see more miracles. No, you don't, because you'll be held accountable to them. I think we can be grateful that in this time, day, and age, we're left with history and shown a lot of grace. But that's the reason why, likewise, Hophni and Phinehas and others were judged the way that they were. God let them make dumb decisions because they were just dumb people, and that's the point. Mm. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, thank you, George, for that question. hope that clears it up for you. Thanks for being part of the show today. Question from Martine. <coughs> Martine. I have become aware of an interpretation of the word begotten with regard to Jesus' birth. As I understand it, this interpretation invalidates Jesus' deity and thus his saving work uh, on the cross. Can mm. you shed a light on this so I can help with this misunderstanding? So, I mean, it's a huge issue, the deity of Jesus. Was yeah, God. and for those listening at home, if you have encounters with Jehovah's Witnesses or Muslims, this is something you want to take notes about because this will come up. When it comes to the term begotten, they'll usually reference the genealogies in Genesis 4 or even the genealogies of Jesus where it mentions the word begot like a beating drum in reference to this person sired this person. This is the physical offspring of this person and in reference to that. And that is true. That is one of the uses of that word. Spoiler alert one of the uses of that word. Right. Where Not we see the only use of that word. <laughs> so when we're asking the question then, and this is how the conversations will usually go, this is what that means. Singular. This is the only definition. This is the only application. This is the only interpretation. When it says in Hebrews chapter 1, by the way, last place someone wants to go if they want to disprove the deity of Jesus, but we'll get to that True. in a minute. Yeah. This day I have begotten you. See, Jesus was created at a moment in history. I have scholars like Anthony Buzzard that say that's what that means. Well, first of all, interesting name, but the point he made is that this is the only interpretation. Well, the English language is full of examples, and you can just pick one. Give him an illustration first to kind of set up the 
thought process beyond their uh, pre-memorized script and go, okay, if there's another usage of that word, and it's used in the other sense biblically, would you allow for another interpretation of that word in light of other scripture? Because if I read into that, like the psalm that's quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 in reference to let the angels of God worship him, in reference to his begotting, why? <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But the point being made is this, in John chapter 3, when Jesus says, unless someone is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You point out those terms and go, that's not a physical birth. That's a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Now, if someone is quote-unquote born again, did they never exist beforehand and suddenly have come into existence at that moment? No, it's a very important moment for someone to be born again, but you don't cease to exist and then get recreated like some bizarre Jehovah's Witness fanfic. So if that's then the case, I'm, I'm being silly here, if that's then the case, then how is that word properly applied to Jesus? The term, and we can get the Greek out here if you want, uh, it's uh, genao, correct? Right. Where is that used, or how is that used, in reference to Jesus, and would it be appropriate to say this could only mean they didn't exist, they physically came into existence? Well, uh, you know, once again, if you point to the book of Hebrews, uh, and the reference in Hebrews chapter 1, that says, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son today, I've begotten you. Well, the confusion clears up when we look in the little uh, margin thing you see in the middle where you go, oh, that's a quote, isn't it? That's an Old Testament quote. Like most what, of the book of what's, Hebrews. <laughs> what's being quoted there? Oh, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 and verse 7. Well, hmm, maybe I need to read that to find out in context what this idea of today I've begotten you actually means. What the author of Hebrews is referencing that and applying it to Jesus. Yeah, means. in Psalm 2, uh, we see uh, that, uh, first of all, we said, uh, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the wide of the nations rage, and so on. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today, I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them with, in, to pieces like a potter's vessel. Okay? What's being referred to here? The birth of Jesus? The virgin birth? The Some rain. act of creation in eternity past? No. What's being referred to there is when Jesus will rule and reign. The idea of being the only begotten Son of God isn't the idea of going through the birth canal. It's the idea of receiving what is involved in the whole notion of being the firstborn. Uh, the idea that you would receive preeminence within the family, that you would not only have control of all the family's resources, you would also be the spiritual go-to individual if you were that firstborn child. Now. Was the firstborn always the first one that came out of the womb? Almost never, biblically. <laughs> Almost never, uh, because, uh, you know, for instance, when we see uh, Jacob and Esau, who was born first. Esau. Esau. Jacob came out holding 
Esau's foot, if you will, hence the term Yaakov, or heel catcher, if you will. Was Abraham the firstborn son of his father? No. Was David the firstborn son of his father, Jesse? No. Were they referred to as the firstborn in Scripture? Yes. Because? Because they received that honor, that title, that position. <laughs> That, that privilege, if you will. So when we read the book of Colossians and Jesus is referred to as the firstborn over all creation, is it saying he's the first created thing or the most prominent thing in all of creation? The one who runs the show. That's all the term begotten means. And that's really important because uh, when we look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize the implications of that? In other words, God didn't send just an exalted angel to accomplish our redemption, our yeah. salvation. He sent his only begotten son, yeah. the, the, the highest, the greatest, the most powerful. Uh, when we see he sent, you know, the God so loved where he gave his only begotten son, it, it means that like, he, like uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says that, that Jesus who had preeminence over all creation. Jesus, who was the creator, we are told, the one who sustains all creation, in the book of Colossians, we're told that, was willing to lay it all aside to reach people like you and me. The greatness yeah. and the humility of Jesus, the, the width and length and depth and height of the love of God on yeah. display there. Absolutely. In that, that simple phrase. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Wonderful. There we are. Time, time's fun when you're having flies, as Rod said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. We are at the end of our show today. Thank you for your questions. Sorry if we didn't get to uh, a couple of you there. We will pick it up again tomorrow. We'll be back at the same time, same place for more of the same. Be praying for Israel. Thank Absolutely. you for your update today. And you say the president's going to give an address later? He, he has given an address. He has yes. given an address. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we can check that out. All right, yeah. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. See you back here again tomorrow. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.